Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd. And tonight's episode is entitled Treacherous Twins. And we have two twisted and juicy stories that take sibling rivalry to a whole nother level. (laughs) So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Suspense and The Whistler. Our first radio play is called The Pasteboard Box, and it stars the great Joseph Cotton. Now, this was first broadcasted on January 17th, 1946, on Suspense. Following that is the radio play Death Sees Double, and this was first broadcasted on The Whistler, November 20th, 1944. Now, you all know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Pasteboard Box, followed by Death Sees Double. Now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines present Suspense. Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton as star of The Pasteboard Box, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! David Waller, taking all of that I can, I'm through, you understand? Through. Couldn't help but overhear you. What's the difference now? I, I hope you haven't quarreled seriously with your brother. Quarreled? What else have I ever done with him but quarreled? Oh, I realize he's a bit difficult at times, sir, but I'm sure he has your best interest at heart. Yeah, well, from now on, he can stop worrying about my best interest because I'm getting out of his life tonight for good. rushed out of the house looking wild-eyed and distracted. I caught a taxi right in front of the door and told him to go to the 23rd Street Ferry. On the ferry, I stood by the stern rail. I walked up and down, puffing hard on a cigarette, looking out into the fog and acting nervous and jumpy. I leaned against the rail and bowed my head down on my arms. Two or three people standing around out there began to look at me. Then, when we were about a third of the way out in the stream, I took off my coat had my name and address written with indelible ink in the label, and my hat that had my initials stamped in gold on the sweatband, and laid them down on the deck, and climbed up on the rail, and jumped. It was as easy as that. A fight with my brother that was loud enough so the houseman couldn't help but hear it. A jump off the 23rd Street ferry, leaving plenty of identification behind. An easy swim back to shore where I had planted my dry clothes. And a phone call to the news to report my own suicide. It was just as easy as that. On Friday afternoon, I waited across the street until I saw Williams, the houseman, leaving for his usual weekend. And then I let myself in the front door and walk back to the study. Come in, Williams. I thought you'd gone. 
Walter. Jack. What's the matter, Walter? You look as though you'd seen a ghost. Jack, I... Well, haven't you seen the papers? I thought you were dead. Yeah, I changed my mind. Jack, how could you? How, how could you have done such a thing? I didn't. I just went swimming, that's all. Don't tell anyone I'm here. Yes? This is Mr. Parcell. Yes, I told you once it was broken. I'm... Well, I'm sure I don't know. I know certainly I didn't break it. Yes, it's still in the box. Well, I'll send you the pieces if you like. Well, that's a little late, I'm afraid. Uh... Oh, well, it doesn't matter anyway. It's, it's, it's the principle of the thing. Besides, I'm going out of town. I... Yes. Yes, I... I suppose there'll be someone here to receive it. All right. All right. Silly. Goldfish bowl. What? Oh, you know, I ordered a larger one, and it arrived this morning, all smashed up, and they were arguing about sending me a new one. There it is in that big square box. You can see for yourself it's smashed. Hmm. That's certainly like you, Walter. At the last minute, you worrying about a $2 goldfish bowl. What do you mean, the last minute? Well, you just said over the phone you were going out of town. Yes. Yeah. What's the idea? Well, 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 Jack, I, I uh, was terribly upset when I heard that, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, <clears throat> I, I thought... Albert, where are you going? Well, I, I hadn't quite made up my mind. I, I just wanted to get away. Taking quite a lot of luggage for just a little trip out of town, aren't you, Walter? Clearing the papers out of your desk, too, huh? Well, I, uh, I simply thought I could uh, get a little work done while I was away. Or were you thinking of staying away for a while because somebody might ask questions about why I jumped in the river and the answers might make you look like a heel? Why, of course not. Such an idea never entered my head. You always were yellow. You'd run away from anything. Jack, that's, that's quite enough. That's right. Those are the truest words you ever spoke. And I wouldn't bother about packing luggage anymore if I were you. What? Why not? Because where you're going, you won't need any luggage. What? What do you mean? This is what I mean. Jack! Jack! Don't! Don't! You're, you're, you're choking! You're choking! Uh. <sighs> you won't need any luggage. Anymore, brother. It's like Cain felt about Abel, I suppose. There he was, lying on the floor, looking as though it was me lying there, only it wasn't. It was him, and I was glad. It's a funny thing about twins, being one yourself. You notice them more than most people would. And all the twins I'd ever known had got along good, extra good, but not me and Walter. I hated him ever since I could remember. I hated him because the old man was about the only one who could tell us apart. And it was Walter he always called to him, not me. I hated him for what he got and what I didn't. I hated him because he was always good and I was bad. I hated him because, because the old man left everything he had to him and it wasn't hay either. Because I couldn't do anything about it on account of that forgery rap I'd taken. And I hated him for the way he'd, he'd taken care of me since I got out of jail and thrown it in my face every chance he got. I hated him for all those things and a lot more. <laughs> and I was dead. And I'd killed him. And I was glad. You don't believe me? Brother, I felt great. <laughs> I went over to the mirror and combed my hair over to the left side like his. And I locked the study door and went upstairs to the bathroom and shaved off my mustache. He was clean shaven. Went back in the bedroom and put on one of his suits. And when I got through and stood in front of the big full-length bedroom mirror, I looked the spitting image of him. No one in the world could have told that I wasn't Walter Parcell. In fact, 
I was Walter Parcell. I went back to the study. All I had to do now was dispose of the evidence. But first, I, I couldn't resist looking around. It was mine now. All mine. Those stupid fish he had all over the place and glass tanks, the books he never read, and all the rest of it. In his desk was a list of all the bonds and securities and the number of his safe deposit box and the combination to the safe and the bank book, all nice and neat. And on the desk was a picture of Helen Winters, the little vexen he was engaged to. And I made a mental note that I'd at least have to call her before I left town. It looked funny if I didn't. <laughs> I might even do more than call her. Well, there's no use stalling any longer. It had to be done. I got the body over my shoulder and carried it upstairs and put it in the bathtub. I locked the bathroom door from the inside. Then I got to work. <laughs> Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you a star, Joseph Cotton, in the pasteboard box by Joe Grenzebach. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Here's a simple secret about entertaining that has won compliments for many a hostess. The next time you have dinner guests, keep them pleasantly occupied during that hour before the meal by serving Roma California Sherry. Serving Roma Sherry before dinner has become a friendly American custom. Yes, glorious golden amber Roma Sherry with tempting fragrance and intriguing nut-like taste is the perfect first call for dinner. And you'll find Roma Sherry equally pleasing with a tasty evening snack. A delightful wine to serve any time. Roma Sherry, like all Roma wine, is a true natural wine. Crushed from choicest grapes. Grown in California's finest vineyards. Then unhurriedly guided to taste perfection by Roma's ancient winemaking skill. Bottle at the winery for unvarying goodness. Delight your family, your guests with delicious Roma Sherry, now selling at the lowest prices in years. Insist on Roma, R-O-M-A, for uniformly high quality at low cost. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Cotton as star of The Pasteboard Box, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. early morning before I was able to leave the house, I walked to the nearest subway with a suitcase, a heavy suitcase, because it was also weighted down inside with old furnace grates and sash weights. I got off the subway at Dykeman Street and took the Dykeman Street ferry to Jersey. About halfway across, the suitcase that I had on the rail as though it was something to lean on just sort of slipped out of my hands into the river. I... I looked mad and then foolish, and the people that saw it snuck it behind their hands. So, well, I was back. About an hour later, the same thing happened on a 42nd Street ferry, and the mortal remains of Walter Parcell were gone. All but his head. At first, I hadn't known what to do with that head. It, it wouldn't fit into either of the suitcases, no matter what I did. And then I thought of that box. That big pasteboard box that the goldfish bowl had come in. It was still sitting there in the corner of the desk. I waited it and wrapped up the outside in the paper it had come in and started out again. The 14th Street ferry this time. I had it balanced up there on the rail just like I've had the others and then... Hey, hey, look out! Hey, oh, it's all right, mister. I got it. I right, let go. Oh, I've got it. 
What's the matter? Oh, I I, I thought you dropped it. Oh, no, here it is. Hey, that was close, all right. Another second and it would have been gone for good. Yeah, they've been gone for good, all right. Walking across 14th Street on the way back from the ferry, people were pushing behind me, and the next thing I knew, I was in a department store. I was walking down one of the aisles just to keep moving and not to attract attention when it hit me right between the eyes. There was another box, a box just like mine. It was sitting up there on one of the counters, and next to it was an old guy looking at some bow ties. I walked over and put my box on the counter next to his, and I pretended I was waiting for a clerk. Then, after a couple of minutes, I pretended to change my mind. I picked up the box, his box, of course, and started for the door. Hey, I say that. I say, sir, you've taken my box. Oh, what do you mean, your box? Let go of me. But it is. It's my box. You left yours there on the counter. Oh, you crazy. Let go, I tell you. What's the trouble here? Why, Why, this man's got my package and won't give it back. Oh, shoplifter, eh? No, 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 it's not that. He left a package of his own there, but he insists that mine is his. Mm, What's in it? Uh, A parchment lampshade. I bought it in your furniture department just now. Mm -hmm. The girl would confirm that. All right, what's in yours? Mine? Yes, what's in your box? Why, the, it, well, it... Well, we'll open it up and see. No, 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 you can't. The only way to tell, open them both up. You think this is your package? No, wait, I, I made a mistake. It isn't, uh... Here, now give me mine. Oh, just a minute. Give it to him. Just a minute. Good. You... Give it to me. Oh, give it to him. It's his. I saw him put it there. Oh, very well. Thank you, but thank I... you. Why, uh, he acted like a madman. <laughs> Maybe I did act like a madman. I guess I did because I was pretty close to panic when I got out of that store. I started walking. I just walked. I don't know how or for how long or what, but all I could think of was, what will I do now? What will I do with it? What will I do with it? I didn't snap out of it until I found myself a half block from home and not knowing how I got there. All I knew was I still had that box and I had to get rid of it. Then I saw the sewer. A corner sewer with a big wide opening. I crossed over to it as though I were going to step on the curve. I gave it a good kick. Sladian and I heard it fall. I got home. A half hour later, I was just beginning to relax. And the doorbell rang. I went out in the hall, switched on the vestibule lights, and opened the door. There stood a couple of kids. Yes, this is yours, ain't it, mister? What? We were standing across the street when you dropped it. Then we saw you come into this house. That's how we know. We got some string and a fish hook and pulled it out. It is yours, ain't it? No. You mean it ain't yours? No, I never saw it before in my life. Now beat it. Oh, then we can open it, huh, Johnny? Hey, oh, wait, no. I don't know. Maybe we ought to take it to the cops. Yeah, you give that to me. Give it to me. But you said... I made a mistake. I didn't recognize it. Now give it to me. Beat it. Well, aren't you glad to get it back? Huh? Oh, sure. Uh, here. Thanks. Gee, five bucks. There must be diamonds in that box. It was back. The kids were hardly down this just before I was out the house without a hat, a coat, or anything running towards Second Avenue. I didn't care who saw me now. Didn't dare stop for a taxi. I had to keep running. I couldn't stop for a second. I kept on running up Second Avenue to 59th Street, going out onto the bridge. I was still running, and I didn't stop until I got nearly to the middle. And then, then I threw it. Out over the railing as far as I could. I watched it arc down and saw the white splash in the darkness as it hit the water a couple of hundred feet below. It was gone. No matter what, it was gone. Somehow, I got home. But it was daylight before I could get myself to sleep. Monday morning, I felt better. Got up fairly early and went down to study and make my plans. Seeing the picture of Helen Windows on the desk reminded me I ought to call her. If Walter left town without even calling the girl he was supposed to marry, it wouldn't look so good. There was no answer. So I hung up. Then I rang for Williams, the houseman. Yes, sir? Oh, oh Williams, uh, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to let you go. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear it, sir. It's anything I've oh, done. Oh, quite the contrary. I've uh, found our uh, <clears throat> association most pleasant, but uh, the death of my brother has been quite a shock, of course. Of course, sir. I'm going away. I don't know how long I shall be gone or when I shall be back or if I shall come back here at all. So uh, I thought it was best this way. Yes, sir. When will you be leaving, sir? Oh, within a few days. There's no hurry, but I wanted you to be able to make your own plans. Uh, I'm making arrangements this afternoon to sell the house and the furniture. And the the uh, associations here are painful, uh, you understand. I understand, sir. My brother Jack had his faults, of course. We, we all do. I know how you feel, sir. But after all, Williams, he was my brother. Yes, sir. Blood is thicker than water. You're so right, Williams. That first performance left me feeling pretty satisfied. The next one wasn't so easy. But for things to look right, it had to be done. So after breakfast, I went down to police headquarters. Well, what can we do for you, Mr. Parcell? Why, I'm, I'm going away for a while, and uh, I wondered if you had uh, uh, recovered my... Poor brother's... Uh, his body? Yes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We haven't, Mr. Parcell. Oh, I see. Now, while you're here, though, there is something you might look at for us. Very well. Uh, this way, please. It's just a routine matter of identification, but we like to have these things on the record. You know. Of course, of course. Uh, something you uh, found? Yeah, that's right. Fished it out of the East River this morning. The East River? That's right. The East River. For a minute, I just stopped breathing. Because it wasn't in the East River that I jumped off the ferry. That was on the other side of the island. The East River was where I'd thrown it. And then I was all right again because I saw what he had. A pair of trousers. Mine. You recognize these, Mr. Parcell? Oh, yes. Those are the trousers my my brother wore the night he died. Uh-huh. Probably kicked him off and tried to swim to shore. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, Mr. Parcell. That's all we need. Very well, but uh, you said the... East River, and it was the North River where poor Jack... Oh, was. carried down by the current and around by the tide. Mm. Caught in the propeller of a ship, maybe. Funny things happen in the waters around this island, Mr. Parcell. Yes. Yes, I imagine they do. So, that was all right, too. When I got out of headquarters, I went across the street to a pay station and phoned Helen Winters again. I went uptown to the bank, Walter's bank. I'd never been in it before in my life, and I'd been wondering how I'd know who to be chummy to, but I needn't have worried about that. Well, good morning, Mr. Parcell. Good morning. We were all terribly sorry to hear of your bereavement, Mr. Yes, Parcell. Yes, thank you. As a matter of fact, uh, that's what brings me here. I see. Something about the estate? Oh, no, 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 but I shall want to uh, get into my safe deposit box. Why, certainly, Mr. Parcell. Thank you, uh, Oh, uh, by the way, do you happen to know what my cash balance is? Just, just roughly. Uh, roughly between thirty-two and thirty-three thousand. I'll want five thousand in cash. I'll make out a countercheck. You can forward the rest when I've made banking connections in Mexico. Oh, Mexico. Mm. Well, do you expect to be in Mexico for any length of time? Oh, yes, for quite a length of time. Oh. Shall we go down to the vault, sir? Oh, yes, by all means. I got out of the bank. It was raining, but I didn't care. I liked it. I was walking on air anyway, and I decided to walk home that way. It's nearly 30 blocks that I was soaking wet when I got there, but what's a little rain to a guy with $100,000 in his pocket? The front door wasn't locked. In I went, and I hung up my hat and coat in the hall and was wondering whether to have a nice hot bath before calling Helen Winters. And when I saw it, it... The box, that horrible pasteboard box that had come back. For a second, I thought my mind had gone. But there it was, sitting on the desk. Wet and soggy and the limp paper peeling off as, as though it had been fished out of the river just that minute. And then I remembered I, I hadn't seen it sink. And what the cop had said about tides and currents. And then the doorbell rang. I rushed to the window. There was a police car outside. 
For the moment, I thought of grabbing up the box and running, escaping out of the bag somehow. And then I knew that wasn't any use. It didn't matter. If it was some sort of a police plan, it didn't matter anyway. And if it wasn't, if it was just another one of those terrible coincidences, there was still time. Whatever they wanted, I could bluff it through and there'd still be time. I pulled myself together and went out and opened the door. Yes? We're from headquarters. Yes. You're uh, Walter Purcell? Walter Purcell? They thought I was Walter Purcell. They didn't even know he was dead. That was all right. There was still time. I said, are you Walter Purcell? Uh, yes, I'm Walter Parcell. You know a young woman named Helen Winters? Oh, Helen Winters, of course. She's my fiancée. And I'm afraid you're going to have to come along with us, Mr. Parcell. With you, why? Helen Winters has been murdered. And I might as well tell you now that anything you say will be used against you. The evidence is pretty conclusive. That... that, that I? That I, you murdered her. I, I didn't. I couldn't. We found her this morning in a commentary report she was killed Friday night. You were seen entering the place that night. You were seen leaving. Ah. Uh. A gun that we traced to you was found in an ash can a block away. Now, what do you expect us to believe, Mr. Parcell? Oh, wait a minute. There, there's a mistake. There, there's been a terrible mistake. I, I'm not Walter Parcell. I, I'm his brother. Hmm? I, I'm his brother, Jack. The one who committed suicide? Yes. Oh, only I didn't. I, I changed my mind. I swam back to shore. I, I came back here, and I found Walter. He was dead. He killed himself. And now I know why. Don't you see? Because he murdered the girl. You didn't report it. Where's the body? The body? Yes, yes, the body, the body. No, no, that's it. Now, look, look. Everyone knew I quarreled with Walton, so I thought they'd pin it on me. I thought they'd say I killed him. So, so I disposed of the body. Then I took his place. We are, we're twins, don't you see? <laughs> Mr. Parcell, I've been in this business a long time, and I've heard some beauties, but I never had a man ask me to believe one like that. It's true. I swear it's true. All right, then where's the body? I threw it in the river with the weight. I thought so. Come on. Now, wait a minute. Come on, come on. I, I, I can prove it. I can prove it. Yeah, how? Because. Because I've still got his head. His, his head? That would prove it, wouldn't it? Or wouldn't it? It certainly would. Come on. I'll show you. Here in that box, see? I'd open it. Sure, sure. I threw it in the river and it, it got back here somehow. It, it's still wet, see? It's... That doesn't look like anybody's head to me, Mr. Parcell. It's... To me, it looks like just an ordinary goldfish ball. That was it, of course. The goldfish bowl he'd been arguing about on the telephone when I came back and found him packing up, running away, because he'd murdered his girlfriend. So, I don't know where Walter is now in those swirling tides and currents, but I know one thing. Wherever he is, he must be laughing his head off. <laughs> Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Before we hear again from Joseph Cotton, the star of the pasteboard box, tonight's suspense play, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Each day, more Americans are switching to Roma and discovering what a wonderful help Roma Wine is in making simple home entertainment successful. The reason? Taste. Superb taste for only pennies a glass. And, says famous hostess Elsa Maxwell, there's a Roma California wine to delight everyone. Rich, ruby-red Roma port, mellow, nut-like Roma sherry, smooth, golden Roma muscatel, and flame-bright Roma toquet. I give my guests their choice and share with them Roma's goodness. Each of these fine Roma wines may be served with cake, fruit, nuts, or other tasty snacks when guests drop in. Many prefer these wines with dessert. You'll find them delightful anytime. 
Get Roma wine tomorrow. You'll be amazed how little such taste luxury costs. For Roma wine, famed for uniformly fine quality, is now selling at the lowest prices in years. Insist on Roma. R-O-M-A. Roma wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Joseph Cotton. I've enjoyed my appearance on Suspense as I always do. Next Thursday, a unique actress whom all of us here in Hollywood love and admire, as you do, will be the leading lady on Suspense, Dame Mae Whitty. Miss Whitty will appear as a kindly lady whose advertisement requesting genteel part-time employment involves her in a predicament which threatens first her freedom and then her very life. I'm sure we'll all want to make it a point to listen. Oh, oh and, and by the way, if you feel that that the character I played tonight was a little, uh, well, shall we say, <clears throat> extreme. Please forgive me. I've never played twins before, and I guess, <clears throat> well, I guess I just lost my hand. Joseph Cotton appeared through the courtesy of David O. Selznick, in whose production, Duel in the Sun, he will soon be seen. Next Thursday, same time, Roma Wines will bring you Dame May Whitty as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with signal gasoline. The Signal Oil Program. The Signal Oil Company and your neighborhood signal dealer bring you another curious story by The Whistler. Tonight, Death Sees Double. I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Presently I'll tell you of nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. But first, Signal Oil Company is happy to devote this time to an announcement from the United States government on today's most important event. The opening of the Sixth War Loan Drive. Many Americans, unfortunately, won't be hearing this announcement beside their home radios tonight. Some are crouching in rain-filled foxholes in the Philippines or Burma. Others are slogging through cold and mud in northern Italy. Or in France, plagued by the new German stratosphere bomb. But they're not complaining. They're just asking for the weapons they need to get the fighting over and get them home again as soon as possible. That's where you come in. It's going to take more B-29s, lots more, at $600,000 each. And M-4 tanks at $67,000 each. Yes, millions and millions more dollars. But you're not being asked to give your dollars. Just invest them in the world's safest investment, a United States war bond. Make it a $100 bond this time. Your war bond dollars not only pay you excellent interest while ensuring your future security... But they say to the boys we sent over there, you're not quitting, neither am I, till it's over, over there. And now, The Whistler. You've heard of identical twins, haven't you? Yes. You don't run across them very often, but once in a while you'll find two people who look so much alike that even their own parents can't tell them apart. And that can lead to all sorts of complications. There's one case I have in mind especially. The case of Mona and Martha Spencer, identical twin sisters. They were exactly alike. Their friends couldn't tell them apart. Their mother and father, before they died, had trouble distinguishing between them. After their parents' death, they were alone in the world. Two devoted, loving sisters. At least that's what everyone thought. Two loving sisters, beautiful, popular, surrounded by admirers. Then, along came Bill Everett, handsome, successful, the catch of the season, as they say. And uh, Mona caught him. 
Yes, they became engaged, and Mona bought out the stores for her trousseau. And one night, she and Martha stood in Mona's room, admiring the beautiful dresses and lingerie she had purchased. And this dress, and this robe, and... What's the matter, Martha? Hmm? Oh, nothing. I think they're beautiful, all of them. Especially this dress. I wonder how I'd look in it. Well, you'd look lovely, dear, the same as I will. Why don't you try it on? You mean it? Well, of course. It would be like looking in a mirror at myself. Go ahead. I'd like to see how it would look on me. Well, if you're sure you don't mind. Of course I don't mind. Go ahead. Try it on. Oh, you're a very lucky girl, Mona. Lucky? Be so lovely and have Bill. Well, if I'm lovely, so are you. We're both alike. Yes, except for one thing. Oh, Martha, what is it? We've never had secrets from each other. How aren't we alike? You have Bill. Oh, I do believe you're jealous. Are you in love with Bill, too? Nonsense. I just can't help feeling a little jealous, naturally. You... You found your man, and... And I... Well, you blame me. We're not alike in another respect, Martha. You're weak, and I'm strong. Weak? Yes. I found my man, as you put it, because I made up my mind to find him. You should do the same. Darling, what's happened to all your boyfriends? You've been staying home so much lately. Well, I... I just haven't felt like going out, that's all. Papa, sometimes I don't understand you. You're so moody lately. Oh, oh, that's probably Bill. Run down and let him in like a good girl. I'll be dressed in a minute. All right. Hello, Mona. Oh, wearing your new dress, huh? Oh, yes, but oh, I... It's, it's beautiful. I'll get your coat. We're late. Oh, but, Bill, I... Oh, I'm sorry. I I forgot. Oh, Well, that's hardly the way to kiss her sister. Huh? Oh. I've been trying to tell you, Bill. I'm Martha. Poor Bill can't tell his fiancée from her sister. Yes. It's too bad that incident at the door had to happen because it gave Martha an idea. She tried to put it out of her mind, but she couldn't. She thought about it all evening while Mona and Bill were out having a good time. Tell me from Mona. Couldn't tell me from Mona. Not even when he kissed me. He couldn't tell. Yes, that little voice kept whispering to her over and over and over again. It wouldn't go away. A thought was there, insistent, growing. If even Bill couldn't distinguish between them, why not? Why not? By the time Mona came home, the thought had grown into a plan, and Martha was waiting for her sister. Oh, hello, Martha. Still up? Yes, I... I couldn't sleep. Oh, what's the matter? I've been thinking. Really? Oh, that's good. Oh, now run along to bed like a good girl. I'm dreadfully tired. I suppose you've had a good time with Bill tonight. Wonderful. Where did you go? To the 74 Club and Maisie's and... Oh, I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Tell me now. Mother, what's the matter with you? Why are you still up? It's late. You should have been in bed long ago. I couldn't sleep. Well, that's too bad, dear. Why not pick something? I was thinking. I... I didn't want to sleep. Well, that's a waste of time. Now, run along and get to bed. I'm certainly not going to stay and talk just because you don't want to go to bed. I'll tell you all about tonight in the morning, dear. Mona goes on about the absorbing business of getting ready for bed. But Martha stays in her room, sitting, watching her. And through her mind go the details of the plan, carefully, minutely. She watches her sister's beauty preparations with a stoic look on her face but with hatred burning and growing inside her. Then, Mona is ready. She climbs into bed and prepares to turn out the light. Run along, Martha. I'm going to bed. I want to talk. I told you we'd talk in the morning. No, we won't. What? There isn't going to be any tomorrow for you, Mona. Well, what do you mean? What are you trying to do, scare me? I remember when we were little girls, you used to try to scare me. <laughs> we're not children anymore, Martha. No, we're not, are we? But one thing is still the same. 
You always get the best of everything. That's the thing. I've hated you for years, never really known it until now. Hated having a sister. A sister who always got the best of everything. And then Bill came along. So I was right. You are in love with Bill. Yes, Mona, I'm in love with Bill. And you were right about another thing. I'm jealous of you. You're just lucky. You always have been lucky. You met him first, so he fell in love with you. Why couldn't it have been me? If I'd met him first, he would have fallen in love with me. <laughs> yes, you're laughing at me now, but you won't laugh much longer. You were right about several things, Mona, but you were terribly wrong about one thing. You said, I'm weak and you're strong. Well, you were wrong, Mona. I'm not weak. I'm strong. I'm stronger than you. I'm strong enough to kill you. You're a fool. You wouldn't gain anything by killing me. Wouldn't I? Now, stop this nonsense and go to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning when you're more calm. You don't believe me, do you, Mona? You don't believe there isn't going to be any morning for you. But it's true, Mona. You're going to die tonight. I'm going to kill you. Martha! Where did you get that gun? That gun? Why don't you remember, Mona? This was Father's gun. Put that down! You can't order me around any longer. I saw it all up. Get away from me! Martha! Clumsy, Aunt Mona. You can't run away from me. I'm following you, Mona. You won't go far. Just to the top of the stairs. Then you'll be down on your knees, begging me not to kill you. But it won't do you any good. Martha, in heaven's name! You see, it's you who's weak, not me. I'm strong. Martha! Martha, no! You're making a mistake. It won't do you any good. Martha, wait, please. Listen to me. You see, Mona, I told you you'd be begging on your knees. You must listen. No. You listen. You don't think I'll gain anything by killing you. You think I'll be caught and convicted and die. Well, you're wrong again, Mona. I won't be caught and I won't die. No one will even know you're dead, Mona, because after I kill you, I'm going to become you. They'll think I died. They'll think I committed suicide. Mother, please! Perfect, Mona. Perfect in every respect. Isn't it lucky we're twins? How fortunate we look exactly alike. How fortunate we sound exactly alike. You are me now, Mona. And you're going to kill yourself. No! Mother, don't! she immediately assumed Mona's identity. She changed into Mona's dress, arranged the gun in Mona's hand, took Mona's engagement ring and diamond clip, dressed Mona in one of her robes and put her dinner ring on Mona's finger. Oh, yes, it was perfect. Perfect in every detail. What could the police suspect when not even Bill Everett could tell Mona and Martha apart? Hello? Police department? I think you better come to 437 Oak Street right away. My sister just committed suicide. What? Oh, yes, I... I'm... Mona Spencer. Yes, it's done now. Now there's no turning back, Martha. So don't get nervous. Keep calm and face the police just as if it really had been suicide. Nothing is going to go wrong, nothing. Not if you keep your head. Your plan is perfect. And when the police arrive, you do keep your head. They ask only a few simple questions. And Bill, who arrives soon after, is with you to keep you steady. So you carry it off rather well. I'm sorry to subject you to these questions, Miss Spencer. I know how you must feel. Poor Martha. She threatened to kill herself, but I... I didn't think she'd do it. Had uh, she been depressed recently? Oh, yes, very depressed. She, she seemed to be losing control of herself. She was never quite the same after our parents died. Do you suppose your forthcoming marriage had anything to do with it? Well, I, I'm afraid it did. You see, Martha and I were always very close to each other. She, um, she had no boyfriends. I couldn't understand it. She was very attractive. Yes, just as you are. Uh, yes. But for some reason, no one ever became seriously interested in her. And then when Bill and I... Yes, I understand. By the way, Mr. Everett... 
Did Martha Spencer say anything to you that might lead you to believe she contemplated suicide? Well, I... No, I can't say she did. It's all right, dear. You needn't spare me. I'm sure you must have noticed how strangely she'd been acting lately. Well, come to think of it, she didn't quite seem to be herself. Hmm. I see. Well, I don't think we need to trouble you any further, Miss Spencer. These were just routine questions. The coroner's verdict was suicide. I'm satisfied. Then if you'll excuse me. Of course. I'll be running along. Oh, don't bother to show me out. I can find my way. Thank you. Goodbye, Inspector. Bye. Goodbye, and good luck. Well, Mona, I uh, think I better be running along, too. I'll uh, I'll call you in the morning, huh? How much you go, Bill? I don't want to be alone for a while. Oh, yes, I know, but... Well, see here, Mona, I, I, I thought perhaps in view of what's happened, you... Well, you might want to postpone our marriage for a while. Oh, nonsense, Bill. I feel badly about poor Martha, of course. But we can't help her now. We we may as well forget it and enjoy our own happiness. As you wish. Bill. Yeah? You, uh... You haven't kissed me since Martha died. Oh. Sorry. I love you, Bill. And now you're mine. Forever. You are listening to The Whistler. Brought to you by your friend, the Signal Oil Company. Marketers of famous Signal Gasoline. Your best buy today. Remember to let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with Signal Gasoline. Several weeks went by. Martha thought she'd better wait a little while to make certain that the cold-blooded murder of her sister was not suspected. Yes, she was a clever girl, this Martha Spencer, posing as her twin sister, Mona. Martha knew she looked exactly like Mona. But did she talk exactly like her and walk and act and make love exactly like Mona? At first, the possibility bothered her. Bill, kiss me. Hmm? Okay. There. Bill. Yeah? You sometimes act so cold. I haven't done anything to make you feel different then. Oh, you know better than that. What's eating you, Mona? Nothing, nothing. I mean, I just wondered if, if I'd changed any. So much has happened. No, you haven't changed, Mona. You'll never change. Never in this world. Yes, everything was going all right. Bill didn't suspect a thing, neither did the police. And after a few weeks, Martha felt secure. Bill didn't act as she had expected him to act. There was a sort of a chilly detachment in his attitude toward her. But perhaps that was only because he was shy or reticent to show his feelings before they were married. So the thing to do was to hurry up the marriage. Bill, why should we wait? Why don't we go ahead and get married? Right away. Hmm? Okay, I, I suppose we might as well get it over with. That's a fine way to talk about our marriage. Okay, okay, so we'll get married. We'll drive out to Raleigh tomorrow and get the license. Raleigh? Yes. Why drive way out to a little town like that together? Well, you know why as well as I do. Oh, oh, yes, I... Of course, dear, anything you say. That's strange, isn't it, Martha? You don't know what he meant by that, do you? There must be some secret between Mona and Bill that you didn't know about. But never mind, it can't be very important. And he didn't suspect you. Don't worry about it as you drive out to Raleigh. Go to the courthouse and sign the application. But now there's something else. You watch amazed as Bill signs the application for a license. Bill? It's all right. I've signed correctly. Look, you can see for yourself. Bill, I... Mona, what's getting into you? Next, please. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, here you are. Uh-huh. Let's see now. Seems to be all right. I'll be two dollars, please. Oh, there you are. Thank you. We'll have to wait three days, you know. <laughs> oh, well, better wait a moment now than later in a divorce court. <laughs> Let's see, let me check these names here again. 
Miss Mona Spencer and Mr. George Garrett. There was something wrong, something terribly wrong. Why did Bill sign the license, George Garrett? A cold chill clutched at Martha's heart, but she didn't say anything to him. On the way home, he suggested that they celebrate the occasion by going out that evening to a little roadhouse up in the mountains. She accepted, of course, and told him she'd be ready at seven. She left his car and went up the steps of her home. Yes, her home now, all hers. She opened the front door. And as she closed it, something on the stairs caught her attention. Oh! She looked at the top of the stairs. There's nothing there. She shrugged her shoulders and walked up. Just her imagination. Oh, was it? She paused at the top and looked at the rug. This was where she had killed Mona. She could almost see her, hear her. Martha, no, you're making a mistake. It won't do you any good. Martha, wait, listen to me. Stop it, you fool. Yes, stop it, Martha. You're beginning to hear things. She went to her room, Mona's room. Ah, it was good to be alone, to enjoy Mona's trousseau. All those wonderful things. She slid open the closet door. Ah, such beautiful dresses. Which one should she wear tonight? She tried to concentrate, sat down at the mirror, and there was her reflection. Mona's reflection. <sighs> oh, now isn't that a shame? Breaking that beautiful mirror and that fine bottle of perfume. She got up and paced the floor. She simply couldn't get it out of her mind. Why? Why? Why did Bill sign his name George Garrett? And why do Mona's words keep coming back to her? You're making a mistake. It won't do you any good. Martha, wait. Listen to me. I won't think about it. I won't. I won't. I won't. That's right, Martha. Don't think about it. Get dressed. Make yourself beautiful. As beautiful as Mona was. You should be happy tonight, Martha. In just three days, you'll be married to Bill. That's what you wanted, wasn't it? Well, then, be happy. Enjoy yourself tonight with Bill. Bill? Yeah? What's the matter? Matter? Nothing. Why? You've been so quiet. You've hardly spoken a word since we started. Oh, I'm sorry. Beautiful night, isn't it? That's no good, Bill. Something's wrong. What is it? Now, look, Mona, I don't remember that part of the bargain was catering to your whims. Bargain? Oh, never mind. Bill, there's something I don't understand. Yeah, what? About the name you signed on the marriage license. It's okay, I told you once. I signed my right name. Your right name? You saw it yourself. For heaven's sake, Mona, will you cut it out? Yes, yes, of course, Bill. I'm sorry. Sorry? (laughs) That's a hot one. Bill? Yeah? You don't love me, do you? Oh, why go into that? Because I want to know. Okay. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you have to keep hammering at me? Sorry, Bill. Please don't shout at me. Bill? Well, what is it now? Where are we going? I told you once, to a little roadhouse. Well, I... I don't seem to recognize this road. Where are we? Oh, we're up in the mountains. We'll be at the top soon. Bill? You have to talk, Mona. You're satisfied. You've had your own way. What more do you want? I want to know why you don't love me. I do love you. I'm crazy about you. Now leave me alone, will you? I'm not a fool, Bill. I want the truth. Oh, you do. Well, just be patient, Mona. We're almost there. Almost where? At the top. Yeah. Just around this curve. There. We're here. I don't see any roadhouse. No, there isn't any more. Then why are we stopping? So you can get the truth. You're always getting everything you want. All right, Mona, look over there. Where? Over there, while I... Don't! Bill! Bill, what are you doing? I'm just tying your arms. And now I'm gagging you. Oh, no, why are you doing that? There we are. Oh! Oh, no! Oh, no! How does it feel to be gagged, Mona? Oh, oh, oh no, Mona, it's no use. You're going to listen to me now. You had your own way long enough. Always talking, always ordering, demanding. Well, I'm not going to go through with it, Mona. I'm not going to marry you. You can only torture a man so long and then he does something about it. 
and I'm going to do something about it right now. Yes, Mona. Yes, I'm going to kill you. I tried to reason with you. I begged, I pleaded, I threatened, but you only laughed at me. You thought because you knew my secret, you could force me to marry you. Well, you can't. I'd rather go to prison than marry you. No, I won't marry you. And I won't go to prison because this is going to look like an accident. I've got a perfect alibi, Mona. I can count for every minute of this evening. When they find you, they'll think you took that curve too fast and they'll pronounce it accidental death. Perfect. This is your car and there's nothing to connect me with even being here this evening. And I'll be rid of you, Mona. I'll be free to marry Lois. Oh, you didn't know Lois, did you? <laughs> you didn't even know such a person existed, did you? Well, she does. And I'm in love with her. I love her, not you. And I'm going to marry her. Please, Won't please. do you any good to beg for her. I can't trust you. I trusted you once with a secret, and you tried to blackmail me. Blackmail me into marrying you. I can't let you go over the cliff, bound and gag. No. Well, that was just to make you listen so I could tell you why you're going to die. Wouldn't do to have them find you with your arms tied together. That wouldn't look quite like an accident, would it? Well, this is it, Mona. Now, you won't feel a thing when I bruise your pretty little head. Now, just remove the gag and the rope. Goodbye, Mona. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> the Whistler will return in just a moment with a strange ending of tonight's story. Meantime, let's test your memory. How long has it been since you had the lubricant changed in your transmission and differential? That's an important question, because the tremendous pressure under which the gears in most modern cars operate gradually pulverizes tiny metal particles and turns even the best lubricant into a grinding, harmful abrasive. That's why, if it's been 5,000 miles or over six months since you had your transmission and differential lubricant changed, your neighborhood signal gasoline dealer suggests that now is a good time to do it. Now, when you bring your car in to have its signal safety chart lubricated for winter protection. Your signal dealer has the equipment to thoroughly flush out the old, worn-out lubricant. And his signal safety chart shows the exact type of scientific high-pressure gear lubricant prescribed by the maker of your car. It's just another part of your neighborhood signal gasoline dealer's complete, conscientious service to help your car go farther. And now, back to the Whistler. Poor William Everett, or George Garrett. That was his real name. He didn't get away with it. His alibi was foolproof enough so far as the accident was concerned. But he forgot that Inspector Dudley would check up on the marriage license and see his name signed big as life. The name of George Garrett, an escaped convict. Yes, Inspector Dudley didn't have to pin a murder on him. All he had to do was send him back to prison to finish serving a term of life imprisonment. Poor Bill. He only committed murder to protect his secret. And he never knew that it wasn't Mona he killed. It was Martha. And Martha hadn't the slightest idea that he had a secret. So she would never have given him away. Too bad Martha couldn't have known the truth before she killed Mona. Oh, well. That's what happens sometimes when you're a twin and you're in love with the same man as your sister. Monday at 9 o'clock, the Signal Oil Program will bring you another strange tale by the Whistler. The Signal Oil Program is broadcast for your entertainment by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and motor oil, and by your neighborhood Signal Oil dealer. 
who's at your service daily to keep your car running for the duration. The Signal Oil Program, produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Ralph Rose and music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Bob Anderson speaking for your friend, the Signal Oil Company, and suggesting once again that you let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with Signal Gasoline. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. I also have a YouTube channel, Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like and share the videos. It will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host. Keith, better known as the Radio Show Nerd, signing off.